Welcome to the In The Scope podcast, where you read and hear new perspectives in the scope of different lenses. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer of War Media. Make sure to subscribe to War on Anchor, the home of the In The Scope podcast, on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the TuneIn app. And follow me on social media at that guy Josh Hicks on Instagram and jhicks042 on Twitter. Also, make sure to check out the War Media site at weareregalradio.com to get all the hottest and latest content on all things sports. Again, this is Joshua M. Hicks, and welcome to the Indisco Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. of war media and i'm sitting here with a very very special guest he's been he's been a big brother of mine he's been a mentor of mine in this journalism game and he is a busy brother he is a broadcast and a host and reporter for comcast sports net chicago msg networks stadium dudes all over the place but he took the time to come on the Indiscope podcast i introduce you cameron smith cam how you doing man I'm good, Josh. It's good to be connecting with you on your show, man. I appreciate you and uh, always told you, man. I got you whenever you need me. Here I am, man. It's my first appearance, man. I'm so so I'm excited. Uh, that's what's up, man. We we appreciate you taking the time to come on the Indiscope podcast. You always know that you're more than welcome to come on at any time. But right before we talk about NBA and things going on in the sports world, I got to give a shout out to you, Tony Gill, Jason Goff, and those brothers actually worked in the Southside communities during the when, the, when we had the protests and the so-called rioting and looting that took place in, in throughout the city, man. You guys have been uh, really instrumental in helping clean up the South Side and giving back to the community in those days. So I, I, I want you to just real briefly go in depth on what it was like to give back to the community, especially from the South Side as a Chicago native yourself. Yeah, definitely, man. And we hit um, both parts of the city where, you know, our people, Black people have uh, experienced just some some losses in terms of stores that they shop at, whether that's the Dollar Tree, grocery stores, or even just kind of where they go get their gym shoes and just kind of needs for the family. So on the South side and also the West side too, it was more so like, it wasn't as if Jason, Tony and I teamed up one day and wanted to just like go help these communities and help our communities. It was more of, I just had this feeling in my head and in my body, really uh, we saw so much on television and on our phones of what was happening with the, the protests, uh, the riots, uh, just kind of people, black businesses especially, suffering from people that were opportunists just trying to get over and get some free stuff and break into things and take things that, uh, they, did, that they didn't need. So I had that feeling, Jason had that feeling, Tony had that same feeling as well. And we just started to individually on our own platforms just put out like, yo, if you need help, whether that's cleanup efforts, or to kind of put stuff together back in stores and then let us know. And just after seeing our individual posts, we connected after that. Like, okay, well, where are you going to be? Okay, well, I'm going to be over here. Let's try and combine our efforts and use our respective platforms to get the word out and amplify our voices even more to get anybody to join us, right? I'm talking white, black, Hispanic, male, female, anybody. And everybody answered the call that reached out to us, that DM'd us on Twitter 
DM'd us on Instagram and wanted to help. They brought cleaning supplies. Uh, they brought their, their sweat equity. They brought their time, more importantly, to help this cause of restoring our communities in Chicago on the south side and on the west side. And even for people that weren't physically in Chicago, the Chicago area, they uh, hit us up and wanted to send donations and just try and figure out how can they help in any way. And personally for me, um, just kind of witnessing this, our communities being destroyed. Uh, I'm from the West side and it's just something that didn't sit well with me. And I'm not the guy that's going to sit down um, and, you know, use my fingers as my, as my tools to, you know, speak or amplify my voice. And that's all cool. But my, I'm more about action, man. I want to get out there because I'm from these blocks. I'm from these neighborhoods, childhood memories that I have on the South side, on the West side. Um, I just couldn't sit by and just let this thing, these things happen. And it's not like when we went out and we had these efforts that we solved all the problems. Like these efforts are continuing um, and they're going to be ongoing for years to come. Uh, hopefully one day they stop, but that's just not realistic. So we're still trying to uh, lend our voices and our power and just our platforms to people that need help, whether that's through food donations or other cleanup efforts that we can be a part of. So all of that uh, was more so of us just trying to give back to our communities and black communities in Chicago. Yeah, that really means a lot, especially to uh, us young guys, younger guys that are younger than you, really that really look up to people like you to give back to those communities and still find a platform. You guys really help create that platform for people like, uh, for people like me to really utilize that platform to speak out and really help be part of the change. And that really means yeah. a lot uh, to young, young expiring brothers like, uh, like me and people that are listening to this podcast. So we really appreciate you and we'll help. And obviously I'm willing to help out in any way, shape or form. You know how to get in touch with me. We'll definitely, uh, whatever you need, man, for sure. I'm, I'm all in. So I'll definitely help Pre you out with that for sure. Appreciate it, man. That's what it's all about, about inspiring the next generation or even the generation uh, before us is making sure that we're out here taking that torch, taking that mantle now because it's on us and me being in my mid thirties um, and just kind of like that next group that has to step up and really change things and make that effort to put our people in a better position um, so we can have things easier for your generation, the generation before you and so on and so forth. Man. So it's about just us coming together and making sure we're doing the right things and preparing ourselves um, so that our futures are, um, just kind of just a little a little easier, man. Um, and that's and that's the thing. It's not going to be one answer or one just kind of swift movement that happens um, in one swoop, I should say. Um, it's going to be kind of a continuation, and everybody has to do their part. So that's what we just try to do. We try to do our part, and we still try to do our part of making sure that we're lending our efforts, our voices to people that need them and to communities that need them. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. Transitioning to so-called childhood memories. Did, did I see on Twitter you said you actually played with LeBron James in high school? <laughs> yeah, man, I was, I was way back in the day, man, way back <laughs> in the day. So um, it was 20 years ago, and it's even crazy that I'm saying that was 20 years ago. <laughs> um, so it was the, the summer of 2000 at this basketball camp called Five Star Basketball Camp out in Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And it was one of the more premier camps in the country at the time. So you had your Nike, you had your ABCD, the Adidas camp, you had your five-star camp. Those were the three camps that if you had some game, if you had your name out there um, on certain platforms, then you were invited to those camps to go play and compete against the best. So that experience, man, of playing with LeBron was something that, you know, I, I, I didn't 
foresee. Like I went to the camp with this mentality of, all right, this is my first time going to five star. My older brother played there, made the all-star games. He already put our name and Chicago even more on the map. And the, like, the camp has a long history of just NBA greats that played there. So even a hometown great like Isaiah Thomas, like he played there when he was coming up in high school. Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Warren, Carmelo played there. Chris Paul, I played against Chris Paul the year after I played with LeBron at the five-star camp. So there's a lot of guys. Kevin Durant played at five-star as well. Stephon Marbury. So it was one of those camps that, yo, it was, it was for real. And it was competition at every position. So you had to go in with this mentality, like, look, either I'm about to kill or I'm about to get killed. And that's just the mentality you got to have in sports as an athlete. It's that, that kind of, you know, slight arrogance and slight cockiness that you need to really um, just kind of win these individual battles. But uh, teaming up with him was, was great. Uh, a guy that throughout that whole week, and we were there, to, there for an entire week, really just kind of embraced me into his circle with his boys, uh, Drew Joyce, Sheon Cotton, Romeo Travis, all the cats that were on his documentary or his movie, More Than a Game. Those are the cats that were at Five Star 2, just being around them, laughing, joking around, and just having a good time, man. It let, allowed me to see, you know, not only is he a great basketball player, but this dude is a human. And we were sophomores heading into high school, so... Like I knew and everybody at the camp knew that he was on a different path than anybody else just because he was that good. But just to see him off the court and just seeing him joke around and having this kind of back and forth and just talking about different things and the differences that we have within each other. And me growing up in Chicago, him growing up in Akron, I remember him telling him like, yo, I didn't even know y'all played ball in Akron like that. And he gave me this look <laughs> like, what you mean? Gave me this look like, what you mean? Like, yo, we nice at Akron. And so um, it's one of those stories, man, that I always keep with me, and I'll be telling my my son, um, my grandkids, and my great grandkids, Lord willing, about just the time that I played with LeBron James, man. So it was it was magical. Did you make the championship game? No, we didn't. We actually didn't. We actually got upset in the first round. So that was the crazy thing about it. Uh, the first game that we played. If people remember that class of 2003, if you go back and you look at the McDonald's All-American roster for that class of 2003, there was a cat, Mike Sawyer-Jones, that went on to play at Maryland. I think he had a you know quick stint in the NBA for a little bit. I think he played for a few years. But the first game, he and LeBron matched up against each other. And then me and this point guard on the other team, Des Willingham, who's from DeSoto, Texas, and played at SMU, I believe, for a little bit. Uh, I believe he played at SMU uh, for a few years in his college college career but that was kind of like the the two-on-two matchup that everybody wanted to see and so a lot of people were at the game or surrounding the court uh, the the legendary camp director Hal Garfinkel was sitting courtside watching us play so it was just great in that sense that that type of crowd and that type of energy was surrounding the court so it felt like something out of you know New York City at the Rucker Park that's how it felt um, but in that first half, like Mike Sawyer Jones was just giving it to LeBron, like for real. And I was just shocked because I'm like, oh, okay. I thought he was nice. I knew he was nice. But this other dude that I'd never heard of either because it wasn't there was no YouTube, you know, he didn't have social media. So it wasn't like you can watch somebody or uh, kind of keep up with them, like through the AAU teams and all these highlight reels. It wasn't that. It was like one, if you were in the same tournament, okay, you saw one guys that are nice, that are good. But this dude, Mike Sawyer Jones, was, was getting the best of LeBron. But then second half comes, and LeBron turns into LeBron, man, and we end up winning the game. So uh, he was a guy that, you know, everybody wanted to come see play, and it was always a, a packed audience uh, around our court when we played. But, yeah, we got upset 
in the first round, which to me still hurts. I'm like, yeah, we could have went all the way and, and took the chip, but you know, it, it was what it was. The experience was great. Um, so uh, just didn't result in the championship though. Everybody tuning in right now, you're listening to Cameron Smith, MSG of MSG Networks. Um, Cam, transitioning to halfway through LeBron's uh, career, you know, this week is highlighting the, the 10th anniversary of LeBron James' decision. You know, he made the decision on ESPN to go to Miami. Now, talk about what was your memory of that decision? Where was you at? What was your experience? Did you even actually think he was going to go to Miami at that time? No, I actually thought he was going to go to Chicago. I really thought he was going to come to the Bulls. Um, and seeing the, the just the, the storylines and how things shaped up for him to be able to take on that responsibility of bringing the Bulls back to prominence. Um, that's what I thought it was going to be with him, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. And Wade was already – he's already from the crib. So, you, know, you thought that he was putting in the good words with Bosh and, and, and LeBron to come back to Chicago. It would have been a, a picture-perfect just team and just moment for the city to reclaim my spot on top of the basketball world. But I was at the house. I was at, I was at my home watching it. Um, and it was a situation where it, it was more so cringe, cringeworthy than anticipation. Because as you start to listen to the interview being done by Jim Gray and LeBron, and you can hear LeBron's answers, you can one, tell that he's nervous. Because this is something that's never been done before for a player of his stature commanding the world, not just the United States or the basketball world in America, but commanding the entire world on what he was going to decide to do and where he was going to decide to play. It was a situation where he, as great as he is, and as successful as he has been, you saw him fail. And that's something that you rarely didn't see from LeBron in certain instances. Like, yeah, of course, he wasn't winning championships while he was in Cleveland in that first go around. And that's just a part of it. Nobody thought that he was going to come in his rookie year and just start ripping off NBA championships. It doesn't work like that. The NBA is a different league where you have grown men, there's systems in place, and it takes time to build chemistry. And it took LeBron time to win an NBA championship. And that didn't happen until that second year in Miami. So for him to be able to uh, be put out uh, in world's view and be nervous, that was the first emotion or reaction that I had. Like, oh, this dude's nervous. Like for someone that's always really truly been in control, either on the court or off the court, he's nervous. And just the questioning from Jim Gray and just the flow of the conversation wasn't really truly authentic and real. Uh, so when he finally made the decision that he was going to Miami, it was like, wow, okay. Because if you think about the heat at that time, like, yeah, of course, a few years prior or a couple years prior, Dwayne Wade, Shaq, they won the NBA title uh, with the Heat in 06. That was great. But you never really thought of Miami as a destination spot, especially when you put them in the same sentence as a Chicago right. or a New York. Right. So you always thought that Chicago, New York, one of those teams are going to get LeBron services, not the Miami Heat. But it was something new. It was a new wave that him, Wade and Bosch uh, had clearly planned from their days of playing USA basketball together. And it was it was like, OK, this is a this is a shift and in, in not even just the basketball world, but just the sports arena where players are commanding their platforms and speaking on their own terms. And being just kind of just again uh, uh, more confident, and not even not more confident, but just uh, 
in a situation where they've had opportunities to say their piece and they say it to a writer and it, words get misconstrued, this is his time to uh, use his platform uh, to, to speak his own piece. So that was a situation where I'm like, all right, well, this is going to be a shift because LeBron is basketball culture. Like he's the face of the NBA. He's the face of basketball. So people are going to start to understand the power that they have when it comes to sports professionally. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I like how you mentioned the shifting part because obviously a few years down the line, top-tier talent like Kevin Durant took that same role, took that same move and took his talents to the Golden State Warriors, which to me added a whole other level of what it means to be a free agent and use your power to win championships because LeBron's, even though LeBron started a trend, he, he started the movement of the actual big three of actually getting people to agree to come with him in an openly decision type of fashion. Whereas Kevin Durant has actually stepped into a, into a franchise that was already set in their prime on top of that. They won a championship without Kevin Durant and was battling against LeBron in almost all their championship runs. So for that to happen, I actually think that Kevin Durant move actually could have came back to hunt LeBron. Because imagine if LeBron didn't make that type of decision to where he teamed up with D-Wade and Boston with Miami. What if he just stayed in Cleveland? You know, you wouldn't have you – you might not have had players to take on that type of a leap from a transition in a free agency perspective. And LeBron, you never know. LeBron could have potentially had more rings in Cleveland or even potentially had the chance of at least making the, level, the playing field at that time much more level and much more, the, much more plateaued, per se, because – when Kevin Durant went to go to say it was a whole other rap. It was a rap. Yeah, I mean, I was I was clearly a super team, like clearly a super team, and it it shows in just you know the amount of times they made the NBA Finals and the championships they won. And same thing could be said about Miami. But when when LeBron made that decision to to go to Miami, I think that was the first time a player in their prime and as big of a player as LeBron James. If you're talking about him at that time, you're looking at him as top three in the NBA. And think about this, it wasn't, you know, the LeBron of now where the conversation where it goes to, okay, well, name the, the, the top player or top two players in the league. Most of the time you're going to get either like LeBron or Kevin Durant, or they might shift from LeBron to James Harden, like whoever you're speaking to. But at that time, LeBron was top three. He wasn't the guy uh, in the NBA. People saw that he was going to be that guy, but you still had the likes of Kobe Bryant still in the league. You had Kevin Garnett still there, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, those cats, like that big three, that Celtic era um, that they had uh, was one of those situations where LeBron knew that he had to, he couldn't do it by himself. And you talked about Kevin Durant's decision to join Golden State. I don't think that uh, if LeBron stayed at Cleveland or if he does stay at Cleveland, then players, you know, think that it is possible to team up with other players and other guys to just shorten their their time or that time frame to get a championship. So they just sped up that process and more or less words microwaved it uh, to get the NBA championship. So it was, it was just something that, again, set a precedence for not even just for the NBA level, but also when you think about college athletics and also high school, especially in Chicago, like a lot of guys have decided to transfer high schools from one school to another and team up with the team that, has already four or five Division One players, and they make that team even stronger. So it's the ripple effect and getting back to LeBron being the face of basketball and for the generation coming up behind him, he's their Michael Jordan, right? As much as Michael Jordan influences uh, the, the, the generation of myself and LeBron because we're the same age, 
Um, as much as he influenced us, LeBron is the influencer for the generation behind him. And a lot of kids wanted to have that power, as we mentioned, have that power of making their own decision and, and putting themselves in a in a role where either their goal of winning a championship, whether that's on the high school level, a state championship, or collegiately, a national championship, they want to kind of speed that process up a little more and get more eyes on them. And you got to credit that all to, to LeBron and just how he shifted the basketball world and sports. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to Cameron Smith. Um, transitioning to from LeBron in Miami to now to LeBron at the Lakers. Um, mm-hmm. We obviously got the new NBA bubble that's supposed to be taking place to restart the season and finish it uh, starting, I believe, July 30th is when the games are starting. And, you know, LeBron, is, LeBron and the Lakers are taking place um, – trying to revive what they was really starting to get in the strength and striding for as far as the chemistry perspective as the number one team in the West. And uh, there's 22 teams in this bubble. I was, I was confident that it's going to work out, but now I'm not so sure. I mean, you even got teams like the Brooklyn Nets who don't even really have a team (laughs) because everybody is tested for COVID or injured and they can't come to the bubble. So I want give me your opinion as far as how successful do you think this bubble is going to be? The basketball purist and lover in me wants this to work so badly just because I love the game and I miss the game and just watching it and even playing it myself, um, get my old bones out there and just playing sometimes. But you have to think about what this virus is and what we don't know about this virus that is the X factor, right? It feels that these players in the NBA are being guinea pigs to see how this thing is going to work. Now, other leagues, of course, Major League Baseball, the NHL, MLS soccer in the States has already started back. And so they have their own hub cities, but it's not going as well as these teams, these franchises, these leagues plan and hope for. Like it feels like, especially in the NBA, since we're talking the NBA bubble in Orlando, it feels like every day there's either another player or another team facility being shut down or a player being revealed that they have COVID-19. So they have to really take a look and see um, just the ramifications and the kickback that may happen potentially when someone tests positive for the coronavirus that's inside the NBA bubble. They can have all these precautions as they want, have these security measures, have the testing done. But the thing about a virus is not something that physically you can see. Sometimes you can see the symptoms in, in some people. But it's not like, you know, somebody trying to, you know, get in the club and they're not being allowed in, like security stopping them at the door. You don't know how that virus can creep into the bubble. And my fear is that someone gets it, it starts to spread, and the NBA ultimately has to shut down. You mentioned the Brooklyn Nets. Like Spencer Dinwiddie is another guy that was told that he has to shut it down. Bradley Beal uh, did the smart thing for the Washington Wizards. Um, and deciding that he wasn't going to go down to the bubble because he has that shoulder injury. So a lot of guys are making these these decisions based on, one, their health, but also the the, the ramifications of them and their careers. You don't know long-term how this virus will affect you. And if you've been watching and listening to the news with these NBA guys, Rudy Gobert says that he still doesn't truly have his sense of taste and smell. And that's scary, right? You're looking at one of the more – conditioned in shape athletes in the world and he's still suffering from ramifications of of having the coronavirus and just the the drawbacks of having the disease so again i I would love for the league to come back and things to work out perfectly i'm hoping it does 
but everybody's situation is different and you can't fault guys that don't want to play because not only are they putting their, their lives in jeopardy uh, and their health in jeopardy, but they're also putting their family's lives in jeopardy. All right. So right. you don't know what that kind of happens uh, in terms of that, that virus seeping into uh, family members that um, are going to be uh, kind of without that husband or without that wife, depending on what their, what their role is in the NBA. Right from the staff members to the players to the coaches, everybody involved. Like that family aspect is big, and for you to go three months, two to three months without seeing your family, a lot of these guys are fathers. You know, a lot of these women in the NBA uh, have sons, have daughters, their mothers. Like that takes a toll on me, right? I, I have a three-year-old son, and when I go a day or two without seeing them, like I feel like lost. You know, it's one of those situations that um, it, it, it will mentally test you. And if they're mentally prepared for that, I don't think you can ever mentally prepare for that. But if they feel that they are, then we'll see and we'll see what the product is. But on me, I'm, I'm on the fence. For me, I'm on the fence of, of how this will play out uh, and, and what uh, could happen and if the NBA will be able to finish out this season. I think they should shut it down and do the smart thing and just look forward to possibly uh, 2021 or possibly seeing how this virus evolves. And hopefully we as, as, as people, as Americans, decide that we're not going to be stupid anymore and treat this virus seriously and self-quarantine or self-isolate, wash our hands, wear masks, everything that we need to do to, as they say, flatten the curve, right? We all have to get them back to what I said earlier. Everyone has to do their part, but people aren't going to do that. And so we're in a situation now where, not to get uh, on this ramp, but still, it's one of those things where you have to, to, to be honest about where we are and the dangers of this virus and how it really affects people. And we've already seen the numbers when it comes to the deaths from COVID-19. Like it's something over 130,000 people. Like that's disgusting, right? And you're telling these guys that, hey, we're going to still try and, try and play basketball when we still don't know what this virus is, just because some people view this as a distraction to play basketball. I don't think that that's it. If they're going to put Black Lives Matter on an NBA court, it's ironic that they're having Black athletes on a court that says Black Lives, Black Lives Matter, and they're endangering these athletes and their health. Always speaking facts, man. Always speaking facts when we have conversations like this. And you're telling nothing but the truth for sure on that. Everybody listening right now, you are listening to Cameron Smith, host of Stadium. So transitioning to two hotspots in, in, within the world that have two iconic franchises, Chicago and New York. Mm -hmm. So the Bulls and the Knicks, they've made – crazy front office moves that you did not think they were going to, to going to make. But they finally made them. And with the Bulls hiring Mark Eversley and Arturis Kronisovic, and then you have the Knicks hiring Leon Rose and recently World Wide West, right? So talk as, as, as someone that does cover Chicago and New York sports, um, talk about both of those moves for those teams and who do you and how they can benefit, how these moves can benefit them going into the, uh, the future of these franchises. Yeah, I truly believe that both teams and both franchises are on the same path. They feel that at this point of their, you know, historic and really the traditional careers and, and franchises that they have, that they had to make a change. And we'll start with the Knicks first and we'll say the Bulls for last. I got my red on, the ref Chicago and the Bulls. Yes, sir. <laughs> but, uh, 
But for the Knicks, it, it was a situation where they understood that they had to get better. And these are two markets where people know basketball. Like you can't just kind of throw something, some, some kind of product out the court and think that people will still come to the games and still support these teams. Like New York and Chicago are two of the meccas of basketball. Of course, Chicago's going to be the best and then New York after. But the, these, these fans know what real basketball looks like because, again, as I mentioned, starting with the Knicks, the years of Patrick Ewing, John Starks, even, you know, fast forward in time to more recently with Carmelo Anthony and Mars Stoudemire, like they know what it feels like to win playoff series, to have big games, to win championships, going back in the days to Walt Clyde Frazier and Willis Reed and David DeBusher, all those cats. Um, so there's a, there, there's a bar that's already been set for the Knicks that they're trying to get back to. So these moves of hiring Leon Rose, of hiring World Wide West, guys that have a strong background in relationships with players because they're former agents, guys that have been the behind the scenes dudes of making situations work and making sure that players got the best out of their benefits of being with a certain franchise. So they have that going into these these roles that they have for the Knicks. And I think they're going to thrive. And New York fans have to be excited about these front office moves because now we talk about this a lot of times in both cities, New York and Chicago, there has to be a culture change. And we're seeing that culture change start at the front office. It's not about hiring a head coach. That's not where it is. You got to get to the root of where things are festering and it starts in the front office. Um, and you have to understand that that move and that decision to bring something new in, to bring a fresh voice in, new blood, as some people may want to say, uh, that decision uh, has to pay off. And I think it will pay off for the Knicks. And I think it will definitely pay off for the Bulls because this is a franchise that, again, has been so set in their ways for so long. And you can just look at their hiring history of people that have been in their positions for years. Like Dar Foreman has been with this franchise for decades, right? John Paxson had his position with the Bulls for, for years, for decades. A guy that, you know, has been making decisions. They've had some drafts where they drafted some great talent and helped this Bulls franchise uh, improve. But at the same time, the NBA, the sports world, is whatever, what have you done for me lately? And fans and cities are not going to take too much losing. And you expect them to pay X amount of dollars for a ticket and X amount of dollars for food just to get the fan experience. Like, they're not going to do that. They might not even watch the games at home, right? Just That's just because of how bad the product has been. But again, you have to credit the Reinsdorf, Michael Reinsdorf and the Reinsdorf family of understanding that a new move, a new face, a new voice was needed at the front office, front office position. And you're bringing in a cat like AK. I, I just love his nickname, Arturis Kinesivas. I just love his nickname to call him AK. So yep. I'm just going to call him AK and bringing him in, a guy that's been proven of turning situations around and you think about his time in Denver in the front office and how the Nuggets are becoming one of the young, fresh teams that really have championship aspirations. And AK was a guy that built that thing from the ground up. Of course, he had a team around him that helped him. Of course, a lot of pieces uh, uh, go into uh, making a, a true playoff contending team and a, and a young team that you know could in years be, be in position to win a championship. But he's a guy that understands that having the right people around him and the right minds around him will only help for the benefit of the future of the franchise. And so that's where Eversley comes in. Again, talking about those relationships like Leon was a worldwide West and Eversley having those relationships when he worked at Nike and those player relationships like that's all big. And the big thing about not even just sports, but just life in general are relationships, right? 
if me and you didn't have a relationship, I wouldn't be on your show, right? So that goes, <laughs> it, 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 that's just the way, how the, how the world works and relationships can work in your benefit. And Eversley was able to do that in his roles at Nike, but also what he did in the NBA front offices uh, during his time in the league. So these are, these are guys that will be able to put a better product out uh, we'll be able to develop guys more importantly and get those players in that the city needs uh, for both New York and Chicago and making these destinations where these top three agents not only want to come, like everybody wants to come and play for Chicago or everybody wants to come and play for New York until they sit down and they really kind of get the behind the scenes thing of what's going on and they might kind of be a little hesitant. They're going to go from that to going to signing with the Bulls or signing for the Knicks. So that's what those two front offices have now done. And only time will tell, of course, of how things will play out. But fans in New York, fans in Chicago, really have to tip their hats to the front offices uh, in both cities because they've heard the cries of the fans and they're making changes because they want to see a better product uh, because both cities deserve it. Who do you think should be the head coaches for these franchises? Now we know the Knicks are out searching for a coach. They've had a couple of candidates that they mentioned out there between Kenny Atkinson, Tom Thibodeau, uh, Jason Kidd, who's apparently been interviewed for it. And then you also have the Bulls, who, although they do have Jim Borland still currently, um, it's been reported and what I've heard from other people close to the situation that there is a little bit of a rift between the front office and ownership as far as who they want us to coach. Reinsdorf wants, you know, Borland to stay. AK and Eversley apparently want to move in a new direction. If the Bulls do take those steps and move in a new direction from a coaching perspective, and obviously with the Knicks having their free, their, uh, free agent look as far as the coaching, uh, coaching is concerned, who do you think are ideal candidates for both of those franchises to run this new direction that these teams are fully operating and going to? Yeah, first for the Knicks, I would say Tom Thibodeau is, in my opinion, the, the number one option for the Knicks. Like, he will be ideal for them and just bring that mentality, that New York mentality back to that franchise. And I'll say New York mentality because you think New York mentality, you're thinking toughness, you're thinking guys that are going to get after defensively, but you're also thinking of guys that offensively can get to the basket and score. And when you remember Tibbs when he was in Chicago and how he really helped develop Derrick Rose and, and turned him, of course, Rose had, maybe a little bit to do with this as well, but turned him into an MVP player, the youngest MVP in NBA history, but also the development of Lou Aldang, Joakim Noah, Taj Gibson, Jimmy Butler. Like Tibbs has a history of developing guys and getting the backs, the, excuse me, the best out of guys and maximizing their talent. He even did that as an assistant uh, during his time in Boston defensively, just the schemes that he was able to come up with to slow down a Kobe Bryant when the Celtics will face off against the Lakers or slowing down a LeBron James when Boston will face off against Cleveland in those just bloodbaths between the Celtics and the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals and the playoffs. So he's a guy that knows both ends of the floor and understands that this opportunity in New York could be one where, again, he's revived as a head coach. Things didn't go too well in Minnesota. He was given a lot of power, and I think it was just more so on his end a little more challenging to try and balance being uh, full of, of charge in terms of the basketball operations, also being the head coach. And I know that Tim Tibbs is a, is, a, is a coach to the epitome of it. He watches film and just doesn't leave the office. Because we know the stories in Chicago, the guys that didn't even want to come to the practice facility because they knew that Tibbs would be there two, three, four in the morning. <laughs> he was just a junkie, right? Um, but, you know, as much as people love to hear that, 
it can be a little much when you just want to kind of go get shots up and chill. So I think he will be ideal for the New York Knicks and be able to jumpstart that team and jumpstart that franchise with his philosophies and the foundation that he's going to set and bring in. So he has some great, if he does get this position, he has some great young talent that's already there and RJ Barrett and also Mitchell Robinson, like those two guys um, are, are guys that you can build around or even be complimentary players to if you get a big name free agent or if you get like maybe a Bradley Beal that wants to come in possibly or a Devin Booker, whoever you want to try and lure to New York or get to New York, um, those are players that can be nice pieces to fit around that, that central player. And I think you also kind of get the best out of Kevin Knox too, who had a dip last season in his production from his rookie year. So these are all uh, just qualities that Tiz will bring to that, that head coaching position for the Knicks and bring them back to prominence. So um, as much as I would love to have Tibbs back in Chicago, like that, that ship has sailed. And I don't think he'll ever come back to Chicago in any role. <laughs> but for the Bulls and speaking about them, there are a lot of great coaches out there that they can go after. Kenny Atkinson is a guy that I loved uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. I have a cousin that's an assistant for the Washington Wizards and was on Kenny Atkinson's staff. And he just raved about just, again, in, in the same mode of Tibbs, a guy that can develop young players and really set his foundation and his system where guys want to play for him. And that's what a lot of coaches need. They need to have guys that want to be there. And if you don't have that, then you're going to really be on your way out. You won't have a long stay as a head coach in that position. So Kenny Atkinson is a guy that I think about of being uh, the, the next head coach for uh, for the Chicago Bulls. I think it, it really starts there. And then you can filter in the names after that. If you want to go Jason Kidd, that's an opportunity uh, for him to go there uh, and, and be with the Bulls. But as you mentioned, and we talked about uh, our tourist, Kenisa Voss and, and Mark Mike, Mike Ever, Mark Eversley, a guy that um, are in these front office positions for the Bulls, AK already said this, like they have to have a guy that's going to have a, a working relationship with the front office, but also they're not going to micromanage this head coach. And I think Kenny Atkinson will be able to fulfill that. So whoever they bring in, they first have to get along with the front office and then give that space where they can truly actually be a head coach to develop these players to, again, get a better product out of the court. Do I dare say the guy that I really want to be in either either franchise's head coach is Mark Jackson? Do you think yeah, that can work? Jackson. Yeah, Mark Jackson will be a, a great head coach. And I think he wants to. He's for some years now wanted to get back into head coaching. And you look at what he's been able to do, not only with the Golden State Warriors and, and building their foundation, because, of course, Steve Kirk comes in, they start winning championships. But you have to think about, uh, just the mentality that Mark Jackson instilled in a Steph Curry, a Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, getting these guys when they were young and really building up their confidence and putting them in positions to win and to really thrive. So Mark Jackson um, is a guy that, from a coaching standpoint, will be phenomenal for the Bulls. He knows the game. He's one of the, been one of the greatest point guards in NBA history, and he's right there fourth all-time in NBA assists um, with that. So he's proven on the basketball court and how he sees the game and how he thinks the game. But again, he will be able to develop these young players. So I love Mark Jackson as a candidate as well. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to the Cameron Smith. So Cameron, what you got coming up for me, man? I know you're a busy guy. You're all over, you're all over these Zoom calls and TV screens. What you got next coming up? <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I try and keep myself busy, man. It's the, <laughs> the name of the game and I've been blessed. 
for a number of years to be able to be put in positions to uh, jump on Zoom calls or jump on platforms like yours, man. So uh, coming up, we got some stuff with Stadium uh, this Friday, some stuff with MSG Network uh, that we're working on a special show. That I can't speak on too much, but you'll be able to see it this weekend once every kind of, everything kind of gets uh, signed, sealed, and then we can get the show going. So uh, be on the lookout for that, and I'll make sure that I'm doing all the promo on my social media, man. You can follow me at, at Cameron Smith, no Ian Cameron. That's right, no Ian Cameron. So if you want to look at him, like, man, that's that's not Cameron. That's spelled Cameron. It looks like it's pronounced Cameron. It's still Cameron, man, with no Ian that. And uh, I'll make sure that I'm doing my promotions for those shows and those upcoming appearances that I have. And make sure that you also follow me on social media as well for everyone that's listening on Twitter at jhicks042 and on Instagram at thatguy.hicks. And feel free to promote our work as well, my brother, because you know we all, we, we, we got this relationship, we got this rapport, we go hand in hand. And, you know, in, in the Skull Podcast, there's a lot of good stuff coming, there, coming your way. And for you to be a part of it, man, it really means a lot to a brother, really means a lot to me. And I appreciate you very much, my brother. Look forward to staying in touch. And we'll keep in touch soon and keep, uh, keep being safe out there. All right. Appreciate you, Josh. Thank you, man. Peace to you. Yes, sir.